Chapter 5 of Cherry Ames Island Nurse. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Cherry Ames Island Nurse by Helen Wells. Chapter 5 Meg. Monday morning, Miss Page, the 12 midnight to 8 a.m. nurse, came out of Sir Ian's room, looking worried and exhausted. Cherry hurried up to her. How is he? she asked. Sir Ian had been walking about a bit when she had left him on Saturday. Things aren't going too badly now, Miss Page answered. Cherry cried, You mean Sir Ian's worse? Well, he had a relapse after I came on at midnight, Miss Page explained. He was in great pain, and I had to call Dr. Fortune. What in the world happened? demanded Cherry. The other shook her head. I haven't the slightest notion, Miss Ames. He was asleep when I relieved Mrs. Hendrickson. She said he'd seemed all right. He had sat up and even read the newspaper earlier in the evening. How is the patient now? Cherry asked. As I said, not doing too badly, Miss Page replied. Dr. Fortune is in there with him. Cherry opened the door and walked quickly into the room. Dr. Joe was sitting at the desk, making some notes. He looked up as Cherry came in and stood beside him, after she had briefly observed Sir Ian's quiet form. Good morning, Cherry, Dr. Joe greeted her wearily. In a quiet voice, so as not to be overheard by the patient, he continued, We've had a setback, I'm afraid. It's a good thing you're going to be with Sir Ian. He has become extremely dependent on you. His attitude towards Miss Page and Mrs. Hendrickson isn't at all cooperative. Dr. Joe sighed and returned to his notes. Cherry went over to the bed. Sir Ian lay quietly on his back, his gray-streaked black head turned to the side, his nose beak-like against the pillow. Looks just like a great sleeping eagle, Cherry thought. All of a sudden, she was aware of one gray eye regarding her. I've made rather a mess of things, Cherry, he said, with a wan attempt at a smile. All your good work for nothing. There now, she told him, don't fret. It's going to be all right. You don't hurt anywhere now, do you? No, not for the moment, he answered. Dr. Joe began to gather up his notes preparatory to leaving. I'm going to call Dr. Mackenzie at Balfour Island and confer with him, he explained to Cherry. Sir Ian was nauseated by the cream in the milk. He hasn't been before, as you know. Miss Page gave him plain milk, but he vomited that and suffered intense pain. There were no indications of hemorrhaging. I worked to get the acid in his stomach neutralized. He was in distress for some time, though, in spite of various treatments. That has been relieved, but I want him to go back on the Sippy regimen that we used at the beginning, that is, the hourly feedings instead of every two hours. If there is any hint that the cream may make him nauseous, don't mix it with the milk. Simply give him three ounces of milk. I know you realize, Dr. Joe said, as they walked through the sitting room, how important mental rest is for people with psychosomatic diseases such as ulcers. From the description Lloyd has given me of his uncle, I gather Sir Ian has always been an intensely hard-driving, hard-working man who has been under unusually severe strain for a number of years. Acute anxiety brought on the attack in the plane, for Dr. Mackenzie told me when I talked with him before that any major difficulty at the mines used to bring on a mild attack. Never anything so serious before. But I can't think of any nervous upset which might account for this relapse, can you? 
No, Dr. Joe, I can't offhand. She stopped, then said quickly, unless Sir Ian was upset by Jerry Ives's leaving as he did. Sir Ian doesn't know yet that Ives has gone, Dr. Joe continued. He didn't hear what went on Friday in the sitting room, and I asked Lloyd to say nothing about it. I mean, there was no point. Dr. Joe took a deep breath. Do everything you can to put his mind at ease. Of course, Cherry promised. Are you going to allow Lloyd to see him? Yes, not too long at a time. Sir Ian's very fond of his nephew. Might be upsetting if we kept Lloyd away just now, replied Dr. Joe. With that, he left, saying he would be in again later. Cherry moved about the room quietly, putting things in order, checking supplies, keeping a watchful eye on her patient. At nine o'clock, she gave him three ounces of milk. The cream bothered him, he said, so she omitted it. He dropped off into a light doze. She noticed that the waste paper basket beside the desk was full. It had been overlooked, no doubt, when the room had last been tidied. But what made her decide to take it out and exchange it for the empty one in the sitting room, she could not guess. Or why she looked into it, she did not know. But she did. The greater part of the contents was a newspaper, neatly folded and tucked in at the side. Cherry stood in the sitting room, about to set the basket down, when she found herself thinking back to what Miss Page had said, that Sir Ian had read the newspaper. What newspaper? With a glance over her shoulder at Sir Ian to see that he was still dozing, Cherry closed the bedroom door and snatched the paper out of the basket. Toronto Star stretched across the masthead in bold black tape. Why, of course, she thought. She knew Lloyd had arranged for his uncle to receive the Toronto Star by airmail special delivery at the hospital. She felt a prickle of excitement. Sir Ian must have read a news story or an item that disturbed him. Holding the paper in outstretched arms, she began running her eyes up and down the columns. At last, her search was rewarded. Explosion in mine, headed the one-column report. She raced on. Balfour Island, Newfoundland, April 10th. An explosion took place yesterday. That was Saturday, Cherry thought, counting backward quickly. In one of the mines here, no one was injured, according to a statement by M.F. McGuire, assistant superintendent of Balfour Mines. He could not account for the explosion. Operation of the mine has been temporarily halted for necessary repairs. There was no question now in Cherry's mind about it. That short paragraph was the cause of Sir Ian's upset. There was something in the story itself that struck Cherry immediately as wrong. Why was McGuire, the assistant superintendent of Balfour Mines, quoted? The person who should give out statements to the press was the superintendent in charge, Jock Cameron. Why had not Mr. Cameron done so? She folded the paper back at the paragraph, ready to shove Dr. Joe and Lloyd. Cherry looked about for a hiding place. Beneath the seat cushion of one of the chairs was as good as any. She slid it under and returned to Sir Ian's room. Lloyd arrived a little after 11 o'clock to find his uncle just finishing his milk. He carried a huge bunch of daffodils in one of those white molded pulp vases which florists provide. Good morning, Cherry. Good morning, Uncle Ian, he greeted them cheerily. You're looking better, sir. That milk is doing wonders for your complexion. You are going to have a skin like a wee bonny bairns before long. And the wee strength of one, his uncle growled weakly. I brought you some flowers, Lloyd said, stating the obvious. Aye, but such a wee bunch, remarked Sir Ian. 
Of course, the color is bright and showy, he added grudgingly. Cherry and Lloyd exchanged a knowing glance. They could see that he was pleased. Lloyd placed the flowers on a table near the window where Sir Ian could see them. Cherry said, I'll leave the two of you alone a while, and started out. There's no need for you to go, Cherry, Sir Ian told her. I'm not in a talking mood today. I'd rather listen, and I'd enjoy your company. So you and Lloyd sit down and talk, he ordered. Cherry laughed. Usually, people tell me to sit down and stop talking, she said. Uncle Ian usually tells me the same thing, Lloyd remarked, so this will be a welcome change. He drew up a couple of chairs, and they settled into an easy conversation of small talk. Cherry knew that Lloyd was a good talker. Now she found that he was equally good at telling a story. He related a wonderful folk tale about an old Balfour Islander who became a pirate and returned to haunt the place. You see, Cherry, commented Sir Ian, Lloyd's a true Barclay, knows all the old tales, loves the island, and he is going to make the best mining engineer Balfour ever had. No doubt he's told you he was graduated with top honors from the Colorado School of Mines, and he could have been a top man in the mining company where he worked, but he loves Balfour, and he's there to stay. Lloyd flushed at his uncle's praise and mumbled, thought you were going to listen, not talk. No, Sir Ian, Cherry said, I had no idea how important he was. Just like him, Sir Ian agreed flatly. Of course I approve of a certain degree of modesty, but my nephew overdoes it, went on Sir Ian, as though Lloyd were not present. Furthermore, he's overflowing with all kinds of ideas. Wonderful ideas, but highly impractical. Sir Ian stole a glance at his nephew to see what effect his words had on him. Lloyd pretended not to notice, but he frowned with quick anger. It's my turn now to talk, Cherry announced abruptly. Did I ever tell you about the time I was a nurse for a country doctor and got all mixed up in a campaign for mayor? Both men looked at her in surprise. You ran for mayor, asked Sir Ian. You would have had my vote, declared Lloyd stoutly. And mine, echoed Sir Ian with equal conviction. You are both deliberately twisting my words, Cherry said laughing. I wasn't running for mayor. A man was. This struck them both as funny. Oh, a man! Fancy that, they cried. She had set them off, and they were bent on teasing her. She not only did not mind, but she gave herself a mental pat on the back for getting the conversation back in the right key. Lloyd's visit had lasted perhaps half an hour when he got up, saying that he had better run along. Between visits to his uncle, he had been spending time touring the area about Hilton to take a look at the various factories and industries and some of the engineering projects. Cherry rose casually and followed him to the door. Wait out here, she whispered quickly. I must see you. Then, for Sir Ian's benefit, she said loudly, Goodbye for now, and closed the door. Sir Ian smiled up at Cherry as she returned and stood at the foot of his bed. I don't know when I've had a more pleasant time, he told her. I have a feeling you're what the Indians call good medicine. I resent nurses on general principles. They boss me, and I don't like being bossed. Cherry grinned. I boss you too, but I try not to let you catch on, she pointed out. I, you're canny. You know just how to handle me to keep me from getting my back up, he said. Few people are able to do that. Two only I can think of offhand. You and Meg. A little sigh escaped him. I wish my Meg were here so she could meet you and get to be friends. His words trailed off. He closed his eyes. Cherry waited, 
and when he did not open them, she went quietly into the other room. Lloyd had been walking up and down slowly, lost in thought. He whirled to face her. Before he could ask any questions, Cherry darted to the chair, plucked out the newspaper, and handed it to him. Oh, it's the star, he said. It must have been delivered to Uncle Ian after I left him last evening. Read that. Cherry pointed to the paragraph on the explosion. Lloyd read it swiftly. There must be something terribly wrong at Balfour, Lloyd exclaimed, his voice low but harsh, his face angry. This man McGuire, who does he think he is? If anyone gives a statement to the press, it should be Jock Cameron. He's the superintendent. Could Mr. Cameron have been away when it happened, suggested Cherry? Perhaps he was sick. Oh, no, there is more to it than that, declared Lloyd. Why, that red-faced bully. If that McGuire thinks he's going to usurp Cameron's place. He broke off. I'm going to find out what's going on up there. I'm going to Balfour. He strode to the door. Thanks, Cherry. You're strictly wonderful. Please give me a rain check on that dinner Friday. With that, he was out in the hall. Cherry ran and called after him. Where are you going? Going to see Dr. Joe, Lloyd called back. Tell him what I'm going to do. By the time Dr. Joe came that afternoon to visit Sir Ian, Lloyd Barclay had packed and was well on his way to Balfour Island. He had called the nearest airfield and chartered a plane. No one could stop him. He was determined to go, Dr. Joe told Cherry. And even if I could have stopped him, I don't know whether I would have been doing right. This is Lloyd's chance to show his uncle that he is not a fool when it comes to managing the affairs of the mines. And since his uncle is in no condition to manage anything right now, let the boy see what he can do. After all, he inherited his father's shares in the Balfour mines, and he has a right to look after his interests, to put it bluntly. His uncle doesn't think Lloyd's a fool, Cherry said. He's crazy about his nephew. I can see that. I know, I know, agreed Dr. Joe. Of course he is. But Sir Ian has no confidence in Lloyd's business ability. He thinks the boy is a remarkable engineer, but lacks administrative ability. He forgets that he's never given Lloyd a chance. How are we going to break the news to Sir Ian, Cherry asked, sighing deeply. Dr. Joe gave her what he might have thought was a sly glance, but it was about as sly as a brown bear's. Sir Ian is going to have a very happy surprise. Oh, I tell you, that boy, Lloyd Barkley, got the bit in his teeth this morning and there was no holding him. He called Meg Barkley in London, and she'll be here as fast as jet planes and other modern conveyances of travel can fetch her. To Cherry, the time until Sir Ian's daughter arrived on Wednesday seemed to be endless. Luckily, Sir Ian assumed that his nephew was off taking a look around the country, which he had said he might do. So Cherry simply said nothing. Sir Ian's condition showed some improvement, but he seemed depressed and moody. Cherry could rally him, but he was withdrawn and taciturn with Miss Page and Mrs. Hendrickson. Then Wednesday came at last, and with it, lovely Meg Barkley. She did not announce her arrival. She simply appeared in the doorway like a princess out of a fairy tale. Sir Ian saw her, and his whole face lighted up. She ran over to him and threw her arms about him. Oh, da, she cried, using the Scottish word for dad. Why didn't you tell me? I would have come sooner and taken you home. There, there, Sir Ian patted her dark head. Don't take on now. I wanted you to have a good time. Meg lifted her head and brushed away the tears that had gathered in her eyes. She was all sunshine again. But da, after the first two weeks, I was so homesick, I thought I couldn't bear it, she said. 
Such was Cherry's first meeting with Meg. Father and daughter finally took notice of Cherry, who had been too startled to move. Sir Ian introduced the two. The grandest nurse and the grandest daughter a man ever had. Cherry and Meg regarded each other for a long moment. Each girl liked what she saw, and Sir Ian lay there and admired the pair. Meg with wavy brown hair, violet eyes, honest and sparkling with humor. Fine, regular features, friendly mouth, and as slim as a young willow. Cherry with glossy dark curls, dark expressive eyes, red cheeks, and slender figure. What a beautiful picture they made. Renoir would have loved to paint them. The two girls broke into smiles and shook hands warmly. It was the beginning of a friendship which Cherry and Meg were to treasure. And it was the day which drew Cherry into the web of mystery of Balfour Island. For Meg had come determined to take her father home as soon as possible. He'll never get well, Meg told Dr. Joe and Cherry. I know, Da. He will worry a little more today, a little less tomorrow, perhaps, but he'll never be at ease until he returns to the island. Something is wrong, though he won't tell me what it is, and he must see to it. Because of Sir Ian's pattern of brief improvement followed by a setback, Dr. Joe was inclined to agree. But he had to be sure Sir Ian had consistent and proper nursing care. Dr. Mackenzie had told him there were two registered nurses on the island, neither of whom could be spared from the island's hospital. Both Sir Ian and Meg pleaded every day with Cherry to return with them. Sir Ian became stubborn and insisted he would not tolerate another nurse. It was a big decision for Cherry to make. You'd not do wrong in going, Dr. Joe said, and her family agreed. I think, Dr. Joe had added, it will be an interesting experience for you in many ways. I've made inquiries about young Dr. Douglas Mackenzie, and all the reports are good. His reputation as a physician is excellent. The moment Cherry said yes, Meg got on the long-distance telephone and began making arrangements with the servants at Barclay House for getting everything in order. Dr. Joe helped make arrangements with Hilton Hospital for Cherry's leave of absence. Cherry herself hurried around when off-duty, buying all the things she absolutely needed, and doing all the other things that had to be done when anyone plans to be away for several months. I surely hope all of this is not premature, her mother said to Cherry. Dr. Joe hasn't said Sir Ian is well enough to travel. Oh, but Sir Ian has been improving steadily since Meg declared she was going to take him home, and there's no hitch any longer about nursing care, Cherry told her. Do you know, Sir Ian never even batted an eyelash when Meg told him Lloyd had already gone to the island? She was worried about breaking the news to him, as Lloyd had asked her to do, but she need not have worried at all. Sir Ian even told Meg to wire him to meet us as soon as we know when we will arrive. Well, as Dr. Joe told us the other evening when he came over, Mrs. Ames said, he's known of patients who got over their ulcers on the first day of vacation. Sir Ian probably feels the same sort of relief. End of chapter five.